Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 481. Welcome in. Thanks for joining me. Um, I want to talk about something non-football related to start today's episode. Uh, I got sent something pretty cool today. It is a story about a baseball player, Jose Ramirez. I'm going to read an Instagram post that got sent to me. The Guardians told him, Jose, that they can't afford what he's worth. And he told them he didn't care. He said, $150 million or $200 million, my life is going to be the same. I'm happier with $150 million in Cleveland than $200 million somewhere else. Wow. 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 This is something I've been saying for a long, long time. At what point when you're set for life is the amount of money no longer relevant, right? Like quality of life, being somewhere you want to be. Sounds like Jose Ramirez loves Cleveland. Do I know anything about Jose Ramirez? I have no idea. I'm not going to pretend. I don't know the guy. I couldn't point out a picture of him, but I got sent in the store and I'm like, wow, he's talking about stuff I've been talking about for a long, long time. At a certain point, once you're set for life, what matters after that is quality of life. Your life isn't any different, whether you make $150 million in your massive contract or $200 million. Seriously, like, going to have a slightly bigger house? This one's actually 300, what is it, 3,200 square feet instead of 30,000. You know, like, how do I put, no, 30. 2,000 square feet instead of 30,000 square feet. There we go. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Like at a certain point, it doesn't matter anymore. He chose to take a little less money, like a little less, a cool $50 million to be in Cleveland. Sounds insane to me. I wouldn't take that amount of money to stay in Cleveland. But if he loves the people, he likes the organization, he likes the city, his family's good there. He's found a rhythm he likes. He likes Cleveland, Ohio, apparently. Yeah, $150 million or $200 million, your life isn't going to be any different. I love, love, love that story. And not because I like hearing, by the way, a guy taking less money. That's not the point. If, you, if that's the point you walk away from, you're missing it. What I'm saying is there's other stuff beside money that matters when you sign a long-term contract. Do you like where you are? Do you like the people? Do you feel like you trust the people you're working for? And oftentimes you'll see guys take the most amount of money they possibly can. And I, I cannot argue with that. I get it. But if the amount of money is so big, you're set for life. I think of people like Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay, the Packers quarterback. He's made so much money in his career. At this point, it's kind of silly to still be paid the highest paid quarterback in the NFL because all you're doing is hurting your team's ability to build a good team around you. You're set for life, dude. You never need to work ever again when your football career is over. I would think you would prioritize winning and having good teammates at this point over the ego-driven desire to be the highest paid person at your position. Sounds cool for a minute, but then you go home in January because you lost another NFC title game instead of being able to pay a star receiver to play alongside you. So that's why I say, I, I celebrate when anyone gets their, their money. I am so happy when any player gets a massive contract. But when you see a guy doing the math and realizing, look, my life is, I'm set for life. No matter which amount of money I take, I'm going to take a little less to be somewhere I really want to be. That's a very thoughtful 
well done thought process in my mind and uh, well done, Jose Ramirez. Okay, uh, the Las Vegas Raiders declined the fifth-year option for all three of their 2019 first-round draft picks. That is defensive end Cleland Farrell, the number four overall pick. By the way, in three years, Cleland Farrell has only eight sacks. That's terrible. Then you got running back Josh Jacobs. He's pretty solid. He's a good player. The reason why they declined his fifth-year option is because, unfortunately, the running back position just has no value. It's just like, well, like he might be really good, but we can get another rookie running back, pay the guy way less, and uh, still get a high level of production. The running back position isn't valuable anymore. And then they also did not... Uh, extend the fifth-year option. Uh, they didn't. They declined the fifth-year option of safety Jonathan Abram, who struggles to cover people. Plus, he's been injured a lot. It makes sense. But what we got to talk about here is that not only now are all three of their 2019 first-round picks not under contract after this year, but also both of their 2020 first-round picks, Henry Ruggs and Damon Arnett, are off the team. So basically, when you do the math, the Raiders went 0 for 5 in two years drafting in the first round. They have none of their five first-round picks between 2019 and 2020 became a star player worth keeping after or giving a a big long-term contract with. That's a problem. That's really bad. I like the direction the Raiders are headed. The Raiders made the playoffs last year. They got Devontae Adams. They got a quarterback and a coach I like. But, man, they had five opportunities to draft in the first round between 2019 and 2020. And none of them really landed. It's a big, big problem. Now, in total, there are 10 players that I find interesting who did not get their fifth-year option picked up. And by the way, what that means, if anyone doesn't know what the fifth-year option is, it's, it means that this fall is the final year of their contract. 2020 will be the final year these players are under contract. They could have been extended for a fifth year. But the teams decided not to do that. We already talked about the Raiders. The Raiders declined all of the fifth-year options for uh, their three 2019 first-round picks, Cleveland Farrell, Josh Jacobs, and Jonathan Abram. Now, then you have the Giants starting quarterback, Daniel Jones. It's a big deal that Daniel Jones' fifth-year option did not get—it got declined. So Daniel Jones does not have a contract after this fall. And it's a huge year for him. New coach, new general manager, no contract. He's got to prove himself. And I am really, really interested to see how Daniel Jones does this year. Got a new coach, Brian Dable, an offensive genius. We'll see. But I actually really like that the Giants are holding Daniel Jones accountable for the bad play he's had in recent years. He's got an opportunity. If he plays great this year, they'll give him a new contract. If he's not, then they can learn, hey, It's not, thank goodness we didn't give him a fifth-year option. This year is an audition for Daniel Jones, and I am all for it. Then you have Steelers linebacker Devin Bush. I love this guy. Steelers linebacker Devin Bush had a really awesome rookie year in 2019. So why did the Steelers not, you know, pick up his fifth-year option? The reason is because in 2020 he tore his ACL. And most people believe he has not been the same player since that injury. He wasn't the same player last year. So he's got this year to prove to the Steelers and to prove to the league 
how good of a player he is and maybe earn another contract. But he does not have a contract after this year. Then you got to, oh, man. You guys know I'm from the Northwest. I, I always go out of my way to hate on the Seattle Mariners because of the torment they gave me as a childhood baseball fan. Well, uh, the Seattle Seahawks are another Seattle team that uh, I would have a hard time being a fan of. They historically are terrible at drafting in the first round, specifically drafting defensive ends. I don't know why, uh, but it's not the first time this has happened. Uh, they drafted defensive end LJ Collier in the first round of 2019. Uh, three years in, this guy has three total sacks. He's not even a starter. That's a bust. That's a first-round draft pick that did not work out. They did not pick up his fifth-year option. Very obvious why. Not even a starting player in Seattle now. It's like, oh, my gosh, this team is so bad at drafting in the first round. The Vikings declined the fifth-year option for their, uh, their center. Maybe we'll see Garrett Bradbury. He got benched for part of last year for Mason Cole, who's now somewhere else. His future is uncertain, uh, but the, the Minnesota Vikings did not pick up his fifth-year option. That's Garrett Bradbury, the center in Minnesota. Similarly, the Falcons did not commit to their right tackle, Caleb McGarry. He struggled with pass protection. By the way, I, I trained with this guy in high school. Like we We're from Washington together. I don't know him that well, but I, I met him a couple times. He was always nice to me. I don't want to talk ill of him. But he really struggled with pass protection uh, in recent years. They drafted two offensive linemen in the first round of 2019. Chris Lindstrom has been awesome. They committed to him. But Caleb McGarry, he's at risk of losing his job. They brought in Jermaine Effetti, and uh, we'll see. It's very possible that Caleb McGarry is not going to be the right tackle starting in Atlanta for much longer. Next, you have the Chargers defensive lineman, Jerry Tillery. Here's an interesting one. I really, I think it's a fascinating story because he is a starting player and he did have the best year of his career last year. Like he's, he's shown improvement as his career has gone on. But the LA Chargers last year really struggled on defense to stop the run. They just could not, teams are running the ball all over the Chargers defense last year. And Jerry Tillery is part of the problem. So 2020 is a huge year for him because not only does he not have a contract after this year, but it also, I, I think, unfortunately, I agree with the Chargers not extending his contract. Even though he's a starting player, they were going to have to owe him nearly $12 million in 2023. And his production level simply does not warrant being paid that much. You can't commit that much money to him to be a decent but only really decent starting player. And uh, we'll see how he does this year. Can he earn another long-term contract in L.A. or somewhere else? Uh, it's a massive year for Jerry Tillery in L.A. And then finally, you have a player that I have talked about a lot that, um, man, he's been disappointing in his career. It is Patriots receiver Nikhil Harry. The Patriots declined his fifth-year option. Um, his career has been very disappointing. Think about this, by the way. I, I did a film analysis video a long time ago, ago about Tom Brady. I'm very proud of it. It was explaining why 
even after Tom Brady's final year in New England, he was still a good quarterback. The team around him wasn't very good. And one of the people I remember calling out in that video was rookie at the time receiver Nikhil Harry. And, and what a, the, one of the more fun what-if questions to ask about the NFL recently is what if Nikhil Harry had been a really good, incredible receiver? Would Tom Brady have maybe stayed in New England? It's very possible he would have left anyway. He wanted a change of scenery, wanted to enjoy the game a little bit more, wanted more freedom to speak openly. But, man, I think if Nikhil Harry had been a star receiver, similar to what DK Metcalf was or what Terry McLaurin is in Washington, then it's very possible Tom Brady might have at least considered staying in New England, way more than he did. In three years, Nikhil Harry only has 57 catches for 598 yards, less than 600 yards receiving in three years in the NFL. That's less than 200 yards a year and only four touchdown catches. Uh, That's a little over one touchdown catch per year here in the NFL. That's pretty bad. And the Patriots would have to pay him a little over $12.4 million in 2023 if they had uh, picked up his fifth-year option. It absolutely makes sense why the Patriots did not extend his contract. His production level is nowhere near worth $12.4 million. And, uh, I mean, I guess 2022 is a chance for Nikhil Harry to prove himself, but I am not hopeful. In fact, I'm very skeptical, and uh, I believe he's a bust. I don't like saying that, uh, but he, uh, wow, has not worked out in the NFL. Uh, I want to talk about teams that have had a, let's talk about teams that have had a really good offseason. Teams that I like, that I go, wow, hey, well done. We'll start with team number one. It's the Miami Dolphins. By the way, this is in no particular order. These are just teams that I like. I think the Miami Dolphins have had a really good offseason. They brought in a new head coach, Mike McDaniel. He's a great offensive mind. He's quirky. He's entertaining. He likes their quarterback, Tua. And uh, I think he's going to use the pieces they have in Miami really, really effectively. So they got a new head coach. They traded for superstar receiver Tyreek Hill. They signed running back Chase Edmonds. And now they've got a dynamic duo at receiver Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. That is incredible speed. What they are going to do running after the catch is going to be incredible. I just want to see Tua throw shallow crossers all day. Five-yard underneath routes to Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddell all day. Let him run after the catch. It'll be incredible. But what Miami did by adding Tyreek Hill and a coach who I respect on the offensive side of the football is really make them must-watch television. I, I, I was not interested in Miami. Uh, I, I was like, ah, they're, they just... I, I like Jalen Waddle, but Tua's not interesting, and we'll see what happens. Then they added Tyreek Hill. Then they added Mike McDaniel, and I was like, okay, wow. It's amazing how that little change can really elevate the way you view a football team. And uh, I, I'm interested, man. I'm excited to watch them play. I think this is a monumental change for them, and uh, good for them. They've had a good offseason. The Denver Broncos have also had a good offseason. They brought a new head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. And then the headline story for Denver as they traded for superstar quarterback Russell Wilson. How can you trade for Russell Wilson and not call that an incredible offseason? Good for them. That's a 
monumental move. The foundation of your football team has been forever changed. You now finally have the quarterback you've been waiting for since Peyton Manning left. And I really believe one of the best things about this move is not only that I think Denver's going to win a lot from it and be way more entertaining and more interesting and just be – there's excitement now in Denver that hasn't been for a while. But also, you're going to see young star players emerge. People that I – you know, think of receivers Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. People – Around the league, don't even understand how good they are because they've had Teddy Bridgewater throwing them the football. Joe Flacco throwing them the football. I am telling you now, just wait and see how good Jerry Judy looks when he's got Russ throwing him the football. It's going to be awesome. Great offseason for Denver. They got their quarterback. It's a good football team, by the way, with now a superstar quarterback, and I think it's going to be a home run They've had a really, really good offseason in Denver. How about Indy? The Indianapolis Colts. I think the Colts have done about as well as they possibly could this offseason. They traded for veteran quarterback Matt Ryan. I think of all the options available, pretty good. Okay, wow. I didn't expect that at all. It was exciting. They added a stud corner, Stephon Gilmore. The 2019 Defensive Player of the Year. He still can play. He's 31. He can play at a really high level. They traded for defensive end Yannick Ngakwe. By the way, I didn't realize this. Yannick Ngakwe, he's only 27 years old. <laughs> and he, he recently turned 27. Like He's a young dude, former pro bowler. This defensive line in Indy is awesome. Quiddy Pay, former first-round pick. Yannick Ngakwe. DeForest Buckner in the middle. I mean, I think it's going to be a formidable defensive line in Indy. You got two stud corners, Stephon Gilmore and Kenny Moore. Good offensive line, a running back, Jonathan Taylor. I I look at Indy right now. They are the best team in the AFC South, and uh, good luck convincing me otherwise. I think Tennessee will challenge them a little bit, but wow, right now, uh, Indy went from a team that didn't make the playoffs last year to a team that should be the favorite to win that division, the AFC South. How about the Baltimore Ravens? The Ravens, um, I don't, man, I'm not going to lie. They haven't made any crazy free agent signings. Or in fact, really, I thought they got worse at receiver. They traded away Marquise Hollywood Brown. But the Ravens had an insanely good, like an insanely good NFL draft. They brought in three studs. They drafted safety Kyle Hamilton out of Notre Dame the best safety in the draft, arguably like one of the better players that might go underappreciated because other teams had other needs. But the fact that Baltimore got Kyle Hamilton is incredible. I don't think they thought they were going to be able to draft him. They also drafted a center, Tyler Linderbaum, going to be great for them. And in the second round, they got a player that probably would have been drafted in the top 15, David Ojabo, who tore his Achilles during his pro day. Uh, He's a first-round talent who won't play this year, but 2023, David Ajabo is going to come out of nowhere and shock a lot of people. He's a really, really good football player. Again, the Ravens have questions at receiver. They got uh, the guy to Minnesota. I'm blanking on his name right now. Rashad Bateman. That's about it. He's got to step up. But I I thought that Baltimore had a deliriously good draft. I mean, it's incredible and probably the best draft of any team around the league. Now, another team that had a great draft, probably the second best, if not the best draft, is the New York Jets. 
They had three first-round picks. I loved all three. They drafted corner Sauce Gardner. They drafted wide receiver Garrett Wilson. It's going to be fun to watch Zach Wilson throw to Garrett Wilson. And they got an edge rusher, Jermaine Johnson. On top of that, in free agency, the Jets added DJ Reed, a corner, a safety, Jordan Whitehead, and a tight end, CJ Uzoma. Now, look, all of this really depends on these moves sound good on paper, and I really like them. Your second-year quarterback, Zach Wilson, has to play well, or else it isn't going to matter at all. But you can't deny that the New York Jets are way, way, way better than they were in January. Good for the Jets. Uh, They've had a really, really good offseason. The Chargers have had a really good offseason. I think they made three moves that were uh, massive, like massive. There's not a ton. Like, the Jets brought in a lot of new talent. I don't think the Chargers had to do very much to, be get, to get way better, but they made three moves. Here are the three moves the Chargers made that I love. They traded for pass rusher Khalil Mack. Wow. Okay. Suddenly, Khalil Mack is reunited with Brandon Staley, his former coach going to be awesome in L.A. Another way they made their defense better. They signed corner J.C. Jackson. Terrifying. Maybe the best corner in the NFL. He's at least top five. Then in the draft, they got a new guard on their offensive line, Zion Johnson. I mean, look, the Chargers were a really good football team, a borderline playoff team that was in the mix to win their division, in my opinion. They've got Justin Herbert and the offseason they had. Not... They didn't make 50 different moves. They made three really big ones, though. Zion Johnson, new starting offensive lineman. Going to be awesome. You trade for Khalil Mack. You sign J.C. Jackson. Wow. L.A. is way better today than they were in January. That's the only question you got to answer here to be on this list. The Raiders made a lot of moves. They hired a new head coach, Josh McDaniels. They got a new G, uh, general manager, Dave Ziegler. Ziegler? Ziegler? However you say it. Z, Zai, I don't know. They also traded for wide receiver Devontae Adams. That's going to be monumental, watching Devontae Adams play with Raiders quarterback, his former teammate in college, Derek Carr. That's going to be fun. And they added an edge rusher, Chandler Jones, off the edge. I'm excited about the Raiders. I think the Raiders got better. Like, you know, there are two divisions right now across the NFL that I, I just have no idea who the best team is. I don't know who the best team in the AFC West is. Kansas City, L.A., Denver, Vegas, they're all really good. It's going to be a bloodbath. Now, the other division, I, I just, I, I'm not sure yet, is the NFC East. Philadelphia, Washington, Dallas. The Giants are not the best team in that division. But between those three, I'm like, oh, you know what? Could go anyway. Could go anyway. I don't know. That leads me to the Philadelphia Eagles. The biggest move the Eagles made in Philly This offseason was they traded for receiver A.J. Brown. Wow, wow, wow. Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, got to be an awesome receiving duo in Philly. Plus, they drafted two studs on defense in the draft. They brought in defensive tackle Jordan Davis out of Georgia. They also brought in Georgia linebacker N'Kobe Dean. Oh, and by the way, uh, they got in a new tight end, a backup tight end, Grant Calcaterra out of Oklahoma. I love him. And the quarterback position is very, very interesting in Philadelphia. Jalen Hurts is QB1. 
but they also have Gardner Minshew behind him, who I yeah, everyone knows I love Gardner. And a, another interesting player. I mean, I, Philadelphia is a team I can't wait to watch during the preseason simply because their quarterback situation is so interesting. They brought in a rookie undrafted free agent quarterback, Carson Strong, out of Nevada. He has been dealing with a knee injury. That's why he didn't get drafted. People are scared off of him. I get it. When the knee was good, the film was really good. The film was borderline first round talent. And he's a guy with a lot of potential that if, and it's a massive if, if his knee can be good, then Carson Strong could really challenge the entire Eagles quarterback room from the back and uh, keep your eye on him. How about New Orleans? The Saints had a really, really good offseason so far. At least every move they made between the draft and free agency, I love it. They solved two of their biggest problems in the first round of the NFL draft. They drafted wide receiver Chris Olave. Then they drafted a tackle Trevor Penning. Great. Bam. Two biggest problems solved. Oh, and by the way, they signed to safety Tyran Matthew. They brought in Tyran Matthew to a defense that's already really good. I, I think the Saints are a lot better team today than they were last year. And I, I, a lot of, I'm hearing a lot of chatter that, oh, the Saints are going to win the division. The NFC South. No, no, Tampa's going to win that division. But I do think New Orleans is in a position to challenge them more than ever before. And I'm really excited to see. Remember, this is two years removed from New Orleans um, beating Tampa twice in the same year. Like, it's not as if New Orleans is a terrible football team. They got some, they got some dudes. And uh, if Jameis Winston, big if, but if Jameis Winston, their quarterback, can play well, then you're looking at a team that could be uh, competing for the division for sure. I don't think they're going to win it. But they really could challenge Tampa if Jameis will play really well. I think the Steelers have had a good offseason. This was a team I almost didn't include on the list, and I thought about it. I'm like, well, they solved a lot of problems. They brought in, first of all, one move that's underrated that Pittsburgh made is they brought in defensive assistant and linebackers coach Brian Flores, who is a guy that is a really, really smart defensive mind. Who knows what kind of impact he's going to have on this football team? But I can't imagine Brian Flores being in your locker room as anything but good for your football team. Like, he's a, a great defensive coach, and I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, to work with them, they signed linebacker Miles Jack out of Jacksonville. I love this guy. Miles Jack from Seattle. Dude is a baller. Uh, technically from Bellevue, Washington, but oh my gosh, this guy is incredible. Um, the biggest need for Pittsburgh going into the offseason was you got to figure out the quarterback position. Big Ben retired. They signed Mitchell Trubisky. Then in the draft, they drafted who they believe is their future franchise quarterback, Kenny Pickett. And then another move they made that I love, they drafted Georgia receiver George Pickens. And uh, historically, Pittsburgh is really, really good at drafting at the receiver position. This feels like another one of those guys who's going to be just a, a, a second-round pick, kind of come out of nowhere, and George Pickens is going to be a stud for the Stillers. Is that what they call them? The, is that the Yinzer accent? They go, the Stillers. God, I can't do it. Sorry. I can't do a Pittsburgh accent. F- fire me. Sorry. Um, I have two honorable mentions here, two teams that I think have had good off-seasons, but I'm not. One is better than the other. We'll start with a better one. Um, I, so I feel weird saying the Lions have had a good offseason. The Detroit Lions, I thought, have had a good offseason for one reason. They drafted 
a player in the second overall pick who wasn't a quarterback. Thank goodness. I was really worried that Detroit was going to draft Malik Willis, number two overall, and that would be really stupid. No, they didn't. They drafted Aiden Hutchinson, a defensive end. So they got a really good player to build around Aiden Hutchinson. Uh, They also, later in the first round, drafted a wide receiver, Jamison Williams, to help support their quarterback, Jared Goff. And philosophically, Detroit said, we got Jared Goff. We're paying him a lot of money. We're going to build around him and keep working on making our football team better. If Jared Goff doesn't work out, that's a problem for later. Let's build our football team. I, I love that philosophy. Well done, Detroit. I agree. I think that's awesome. Great approach by the Lions. Now, the Washington Commanders have not necessarily had a good offseason, if you look at stuff off the field. But this is a podcast where we talk about the football moves. Let's not talk about taxes or the ownership, because <laughs> that's uh, all bad. But uh, I think the moves they made in Washington when it comes to player personnel are interesting. They're boomer bust. The biggest moves they made was they traded for quarterback Carson Wentz. He could be a franchise quarterback. He could be awesome. In fact, uh, they used to play him often in Washington. They played him when he was in Philadelphia. How cool is it that Carson Wentz gets to play his former football team, the Eagles, twice a year? It's kind of fun. They also drafted wide receiver Jahan Dotson. People are saying that he was a little bit overdrafted. Look, if he's going to be drafted 32nd overall or 16th overall, does it really matter? I think think he's a first-round talent. I love Jahan Dotson. And when you pair Jahan Dotson, a guy who's got really good ball skills at high-pointing a football, catching some of those Carson Wentz YOLO balls, pairing Jahan Dotson with Terry McLaurin is a home run. I love it. Can't wait to see them play together. It's going to be great. Oh. And there's another small move that Washington made. They drafted in the fifth round a quarterback that I call quarterback insurance, Sam Howell. If Carson Wentz does not become your and develop into your franchise quarterback, Sam Howell is a really talented quarterback who at one point was viewed as the best quarterback in this draft class and was a first-round pick. So uh, I think he's a first-round talent in the fifth round at quarterback. Well done by Washington. Um, I think... When it comes to some of the moves they've made, Washington has potential to have a really good offseason. All right. Um, let me drink some water, then we'll get into this topic that I, I can't, I'm a, I care about it enough to talk about it, but not enough to get, we'll see, I might get passionate. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I will get angry. So this past week, Tennessee's quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, said some words that made a lot of people really angry. He said, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis. That is the quarterback that Tennessee drafted in the third round uh, that they are hoping could eventually replace Ryan Tannehill. When Tannehill said, it's not my job to mentor Malik Willis, people freaked out. Oh my gosh, he's a bad leader! Terrible guy, not the kind of leader I would want. And I'm not going to argue with you and say that this is the best example of leadership I've ever seen. A player who's not going to help a player beneath him. But let's be clear, Ryan Tannehill's job is to be as good at playing quarterback as he can be. It's not his job to coach up Malik Willis. In fact, I would argue that uh, it might be even inappropriate. If I had a, I had a quarterback I used to play with who was always trying to be my coach. 
talking down to me. And he didn't earn the right to talk to me that way. And it was not cool. I was like, dude, who are you? I'm fine. I, in fact, I thought I was better than this guy. You don't need Ryan Tannehill talking down to Malik Willis and trying to coach him up all the time and teach him everything. He's not a coach. The Tennessee Titans have a coaching staff to do that, right? That, that's not Ryan Tannehill's job. In fact, like I said, relationally, it could become inappropriate if Ryan Tannehill was always trying to tell Malik Willis what to do. Because like I said, I think in the past, the quarterback I was playing with, he did a lot of that stuff to try to assert his dominance over me. It was him making himself feel like he was better than me. And it's not like Ryan Tannehill doesn't already have enough to worry about. Like, he's, he's kind of struggling a little bit as a quarterback. He has to earn his job and, and work hard to play well. You can't divide Ryan Tannehill's attention. That's nonsense. Oh, and it's also not like Ryan Tannehill said he's not ever going to answer a question Malik Willis will ask him or... He didn't say, I'm going to treat him badly. You know what? When Malik Willis walks into the room, I'm going to turn my back and not even look at him. It's not like he said that. People are acting like that's what he said, but because we live in a reactionary world where people hear one thing and then assume an extreme opinion and yell and scream, here's a level-headed opinion. Hey, it's all fine. <laughs> it's not his job to coach up Malik Willis. In fact, I would argue it could even be inappropriate. And you can't expect Ryan Tannehill to help another player take his job. Are you kidding me? He wants to play. If you're Ryan Tannehill, you don't even believe you're going anywhere. You're like, look, I'm the starting quarterback in Tennessee. I got a big contract. I'm here for the next six years. I'm only 33 years old. I'm not going anywhere. Ryan Tannehill's going to fight for his job as he should. And simply saying, hey, I'm not going to mentor Malik Willis is not the same as saying, I'm going to treat Malik Willis badly. He didn't say that. He just said, look, my job is to do my job really well, which is to play quarterback at a high level. And I, I, I'll tell you what, I'm sure he's got his plate full trying to make sure that happens already. Last thing Ryan Tannehill needs to do is worry about another responsibility, coaching up a player. So I, I hate that this week we had to have this conversation. I, I tried to ignore it. Here we are recording, so I, I got to talk about it. But um, <laughs> come on, guys. Come on. He's not a coach. Weird weird to me that this, I'm not surprised. It's the slow time of year. No one has anything to talk about. Some people come up with, you know, hot takes and opinions that are silly or maybe say stuff they don't believe or trump up an opinion that they might kind of agree with, but then they got to turn it into more to get clicks and views. But um, to me, I'm like, ah, it doesn't really move the needle. It's like, you know, it's just a quote. People find a reason to be angry at it. And then everyone has some crazy opinion to get views and, here we are. Um, Seattle Seahawks head coach, my notes say quarterback, the Seattle Seahawks head coach, Pete Carroll, appears to be committing to his young quarterback, Drew Locke. Remember, they got Drew Locke in a trade with Denver when they traded Russell Wilson away. Now, Pete Carroll has come out and said that Drew Locke would have been the best quarterback available in the 2022 NFL draft. Hey, all the quarterbacks drafted that, you know, this draft where Kenny Pickett was the only player at the quarterback position drafted in the first two rounds. Yeah, Drew Locke is better than Kenny Pickett. Drew Locke would have been the first guy off the board. He's better than all of the other rookie options. So 
actually, if you interpret it that way directly, then Pete Carroll's got to feel pretty good about Drew Locke. And I will say, I will say, when Drew Locke played under Vic Fangio in Denver, remember Vic Fangio, this really, really, um, how do you, conservative, defensive head coach. Drew Locke never really got a fair shot in that system. He wasn't trusted. They never, even, they never even gave him really an opportunity to fail. They just said, we don't trust you enough to even give you a shot. We're this, I'm a tough old coach fighting for my job. And I, uh, Vic Fangio came across as very unlikable many times in Denver. One of the things that bothered me was he never would give Drew Locke a real shot. So I am open to seeing what Drew Locke can do in Seattle. Okay, there we go. Let's see what can happen here. Now, Pete Carroll also gave this quote. He said, he was talking about the quarterback position, and he said, I don't see us making a trade for anyone. So Pete Carroll said, we're not going to trade for another quarterback. And a lot of people went, oh, so Pete Carroll doesn't want Baker Mayfield. Maybe. In fact, probably. However, saying you're not going to trade for another quarterback does not entirely rule out the possibility of Baker Mayfield going to Seattle. I've said for a while now, nobody's going to trade for Baker Mayfield. He's too expensive. If you're going to trade for him, you've got to pay Baker around $19 million next year. But if Cleveland will release Baker Mayfield and he was a free agent, I think Seattle would sign him. At least they're making a phone call to try to get him. I don't know that Baker would go to Seattle. I think he would, but I can't assume that. But if Baker was a free agent right now, even based on this quote and these couple quotes, I think Seattle would still find a way to go make a move and get Baker Mayfield. Pete Carroll loves competition. Here's another theory, by the way, on Baker Mayfield. A lot of people are talking about, uh, we're kind of moving into this period where, hey, Baker's not been traded away. He's expensive to trade for. Uh, let's talk about the possibility of Deshaun Watson, the Cleveland Browns quarterback, getting suspended early next year. The suspension hasn't happened. People are assuming that Cleveland is keeping Baker, A, because they're not getting a good trade uh, offer for him, but B, because if Deshaun Watson does get suspended, they're going to need a quarterback for week one that could be Baker Mayfield. Here's the thing about all of this. People don't realize that Deshaun Watson's contract has been manipulated so that if he gets suspended next year, he doesn't lose any money. Pretty much all of his contract for 2022 is a signing bonus with Cleveland. His base salary is like a million dollars, literally. I think he had like a 47, 46 million dollar signing bonus, like some crazy amount like that. So if the NFL really wants to actually punish Deshaun Watson, what they're going to do is an extended investigation that takes over a year. All of this year, nothing happens. No suspension. Deshaun Watson plays all of 2020. Then next offseason, when the rules have changed, by the way, on his contract, where he is getting paid a lot more money per game, then next year in 2023, the NFL might suspend Deshaun Watson because that would actually really punish him. It would cost him a lot of money if he had to miss 6 to 8 to 12 games next year. So I think there's a possibility here that Cleveland is thinking they outsmarted the NFL 
So they're going to hang on to Baker. They gave Deshaun Watson a, a cheap contract for this year that uh, means if he gets suspended this year, doesn't lose any money really. In the NFL, knowing all of this is like, we see what kind of dirty tricks you're playing. We're just going to not suspend him till next year. We're going to wait. We're going to drag our feet. Oh, the investigation took a long time, a year and a half. Hey, we're finally ready. 2023, bang, eight-game suspension. You no longer have Baker, and your quarterback can't play. They're going to really punish him. If that's how, it's, that's how I would punish Deshaun Watson if I was the NFL, especially because my ego would say, I see what you're doing. I see how you're trying to circumvent any kind of punishment we could give you, so we're going to punish you later when you can't avoid it with a loophole anymore. Keep your eye on all of that. My prediction is Baker, uh, at some point, they're going to have to cut Baker Mayfield because I think Deshaun Watson will not get suspended. And I don't think you want Baker Mayfield and Deshaun Watson together on the same football team. I, I, I wouldn't want that. And certainly, it would be like a punishment to Baker Mayfield to make him have to be a backup to Deshaun Watson and deal with all. I, mean, I just, I don't think that's, that's not right. I don't like that thought. I think I'd be, that's, if you're going to bench the guy, at least get rid of him too. You know, don't make the guy watch another person do the job he had for a couple of years, longingly and painfully. I don't know. My thoughts. I, I will say, I saw one other thing uh, recently. I, I saw that Tom Brady put out a TikTok where he was making fun of the tuck rule, saying, hey, the tuck rule maybe might have been a fumble. And I, 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 great comments on it. And some guy said, you know, Raiders fans have PTSD and therapy now for five years or something. And I, I just talked about how the NFL pays attention. The NFL corporate doesn't like Tom Brady. And... Tom Brady gave them another reason not to like him with this. He should have kept his mouth shut, at least till he's done playing, I think. Um, and to be honest, I, I, I really believe that in the playoffs, something funny could happen to Tampa Bay. Some bad missed call that is a reaction and a punishment to Tom Brady admitting that the NFL got that one wrong. Keep your mouth shut till you're done playing. It's not that hard. I love Tampa Tom. I think Tampa Tom is really open and honest and authentic and fun. That's one where I think Tom Brady isn't afraid enough of the corruption and the uh, vindictiveness of the corporate NFL. And uh, I, I'll tell you what, man. That office in New York doesn't like Tom Brady anyway. Don't give him another reason to out you or have some kind of problem with you or, you know, a missed call in a key moment in the fourth quarter of the NFC title game. Game, get, get into the Super Bowl. Tom Brady's playing. Oh, whoops, we missed a call. Oh, Tommy, did it hurt you? Oh, no. I think that can happen with the NFL corporate office. I don't trust them at all. And if I were Tom Brady, keep your mouth shut until you're done about that kind of stuff. When you're done playing, spill the beans on everything. But I think Tom Brady isn't quite sure whether he's still playing or not. Like he, He's acting like he's retired, but he's not. It's kind of interesting to me. Keep your eye on that. Guys, that's all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. I will see you very soon. Um, I'm really hungry. I'm going to go eat some food. Uh, I'm recording again tomorrow. Got a fun topic where you guys wrote in a bunch of hot takes. We'll do that. We'll talk about the Formula One race. Love you. I appreciate you. Bam. We are done.